0: You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is your host, Stephen Roach. This is season three, episode 15, the season finale. In this episode, I'm gonna share with you one more of our live panels from the Breath in the Clay creative arts event. This one is a conversation with my dear friends, songwriters Jonathan and Melissa Helser on the subject of emotional health. I'll go ahead and give you a sneak peek into season four by saying I've spoken with Jonathan and Melissa about returning to this subject in a later episode where we can dive a bit deeper into the nuances of emotional health and how it affects our creative processes. But I felt the insight shared in this short panel would be a great introduction into the subject. So that's coming up in just a little bit. But before we get there, I want to take a few minutes and tell you about some exciting changes coming in Season 4. In addition to our bi-weekly conversations, we're going to be adding 10-minute episodes which feature stories of artists, writers, and interesting figures throughout history who have gone before us in this journey of art and faith. I'll be introducing you to some of my own heroes like Thomas Merton, Madeleine Engel, and Hans Ruckmacher. But here's the fun part about this. I'm going to pass the mic over to my friends and other voices in our community to join in these presentations. So this will be a great opportunity for us to hear from other artists about the people who have inspired them. And before we get to our panel discussion, I want to tell you about an opportunity we've just opened up to our patrons. We are beginning to offer monthly creative coaching sessions. One of the challenges we face as creative people is that we can get so isolated in our own heads, we can't easily see the way forward in our work and in our lives. And sometimes, breakthrough really just means having someone intentionally walk alongside of us, someone who knows our vision, who knows our strengths and our weaknesses, and who advocates for the dreams or the art we're carrying inside. And so, as much as I can be that voice of encouragement, I'd love the opportunity to walk alongside of you in your creative pursuits. So if that is something you'd be interested in, you can look more into how to make that happen on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash makersandmystics. And you can also access the Patreon page from our website and in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, I want to say thank you to all of our patrons who are partnering with us in making this podcast happen. I can't express enough how essential these conversations are for the cultural moment we are living in. Ours is a time when the artist is leading the way forward in realms of spirituality and culture making. This journey we're on together is contributing to a much larger conversation than simply an interest in how faith and art work together, but is laying the groundwork for the way our generation and the generations to come engage truth. All right, so here's our panel discussion with Jonathan and Melissa Helser on emotional health. And I wanted to let you know that if you're interested in hearing all the keynotes from the Breath In The Clay events, we have a link in the show notes of this episode where you can purchase digital downloads from breathintheclay.com. My next guest, I'm so excited to invite Jonathan and Melissa Helser up to the stage. Yeah. Most of you guys know Johnny and Melissa as the incredible worship leaders that they are and also as uh, the leaders of the 18-inch journey. Discipleship school, creative, is that what you'd say? Creative discipleship school. I know Johnny and Melissa as some of my best friends in the entire world. Johnny was the best man at at our wedding. Melissa was in uh, Sarah's wedding party. uh, and, And we've got... 20 years of history together, and we did the first creative arts camps that, uh, that grew into the 18-inch journey together. And uh, I just love these guys with, with all my heart, and I just value what they're doing in the world, and, and I'm just grateful to know them. But we wanted to talk about a specific subject together today that I think it is extremely important, especially for artists and creatives, and this is emotional health drop you know it's like there's this mindset that all creativity has to come out of complete shattered brokenness right but I don't buy that I mean in fact when I first came to know Jesus I was really genuinely scared because I said Lord what of the poet who's been healed am I just going to create sappy Hallmark card sayings for, for the rest of my life now? I didn't know that there was a depth of joy that could rival the depth of my despair. You know? And over the past 17, 18 years of my life, he's been unpacking that and, and, and showing me that. And so I want to start by asking you guys, as an artist, what, what has been your journey in pursuing emotional health?
1: As the external processor, I'll go first. Jonathan will collect his thoughts and then articulate it beautifully. Um, We do this a lot, so there's a flow. Um, I think for me, um, I'll just go deep fast. Do it. I started creating really because... um, I was so desperate to encounter um, the true nature of God. Mm. And I have a chronic illness I've had since I was 17. And so in the depths of like really intense suffering, I would pray and pray and pray and pray and get no relief of just the, the turmoil. You know what I'm talking about? Like the trauma of tension and chaos, and I would watch Jonathan process the same, differently, the same pain, but he would sing, and, and he would write, and he would have this immediate relief. Maybe not immediate, but a different kind of relief, and so I just want to say that first, like, I never wanted to be a songwriter. I never wanted to lead worship. I mean, I wanted to Do a community is really what I wanted to do, which I am doing. But I started creating because I needed relief. In that process of like, oh God, now am I a creator? Do I have to keep creating, right? And what if all my songs are sad? Because in the beginning they were. Like there were so much pain. There were so many questions. Um, I needed to be able to sing the prayer a hundred times when I would get sick of praying it mm-hmm. after 10 times. But the more, when we sing those, that honesty, right? Yeah. It becomes this beautiful, just ongoing, I love what John Mark said, fellowship with yourself first with the Lord. And then ultimately, if you choose to give it away with others, a lot of my songs I have not given away because they're too precious mm. to my story. And so I think in that process, in, the, in our mid-20s, well, really our late 20s, we were in so much tension, right, with just our personal story. And along came this mother and father that looked at us and said, if the enemy can't keep you from burning for the Lord, he will use your gift to burn you out. Mm. And we were like oh, God, what does that mean? (laughs) Like, (laughs) you know, are we on the road to burnout, you know? And they just sat down and gave us the most profound tools and said, it's actually really important that you learn how to manage your inner world. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And it's actually really important that you learn how to ask really honest questions. And it's actually really important that you not ignore what's really going on Mm -hmm. and that you become aware and attentive of how, you actually are feeling internally and how that's affecting, of course, the closest people to you, but then beyond that outside, you know? Mm -hmm. And so for us, emotional health has been Mm life-changing. I would say, hands down, the pursuit of emotional health for the last 10 years has been the most life-changing for our marriage, for the way we do ministry, for the way we lead our schools, for the way we lead worship, right? Because He is actually concerned about my inner world.
0: Yeah, Yeah. Character
1: is everything. But the process of how we get to wholeness takes a lifetime. Yes. Right? So it's, there's no, we're not in a rush, but it's this this beautiful dance that we do with God. And when we learn that, man, He's not afraid of my honesty, like we can actually go there. And I, I think it, you know, emotional health first and foremost is just the awareness of actually what's going on, and I think a lot of us culture tells us it's okay to live in denial, mm. and it's not okay because your denial not only affects you but it affects everyone around you, and when you become totally self-absorbed, see, self-absorbed is not self-aware. That's good. It's
0: really. I good. I want to say it again. Yeah. Because it's it. a
1: room full of creatives. Being <laughs> self-absorbed is not being self-aware. That's good. I'm going to stop there because <laughs> I know you have something profound to say.
2: Yeah, I think my process in uh, emotional health, I, um, I'm so thankful for the book of Psalms and the well-worn path that David made to the heart of God um, through processing every emotion through a yeah. song. Um, you can almost find every human emotion in those 150 yeah. that he contributed to and he would dare to pour his whole heart out to God. And he would say things to God that it's become like just normal to us. We're so familiar with it, we're not fascinated with it anymore. But when he would say those things to God, you could feel the room gasping no one had ever said things like that to the Father. No one had ever said things like that to God, and, and he broke all the rules for a relationship. Mm. With his broken heart, he, he took the veil out, and he just put an ark there, and he sang his heart to it, and God smiled. Mm-hmm. And in those songs, I begin to realize when, when I pour out my heart to him, and I pour out my emotions to him, and, um, I think it probably happened for me when I was 16 and I realized I wasn't going to be in the NBA. <laughs> um, you know, when you realize when you're like, oh, I'm not going to be a professional basketball player. Like, it's not in the cards for me. Because all I wanted to do when I was a kid was play sports. Um, everywhere from basketball to baseball, every, every year it's just, you know, um, I'm, going to, I'm going to be in the NBA one day. And I realized that I wasn't. Um, and I picked up a guitar when I was about seventeen, and I begin to find my father's smile mm-hmm. for myself. And I, and I recently I asked the Lord. I said, "Why did I love sports so much?" Because I wish I could go back. Because. All those years, like, trying to be an NBA basketball player, if I could have been learning, like, some instruments, it would have really helped me in my calling now. Because, like, I mean, I got a great jump shot still, um, but it doesn't help me write songs better. And I was like, Lord, why did I spend so much time chasing after sports? And, and he took me back to a moment when I was a really little boy, and he said, because you watched your father, my earthly father, who's been an incredible dad to me, but you watched more emotion come out of him when he watched sports than anything else. Wow. And you thought if you could do what those guys on TV were doing, you would get that same response from your dad. And then I put down a basketball and I picked up a guitar and I found that smile that David found in the fields. Mm -hmm. I found that smile that um, before Jesus healed any sick, he before he did any miracles, any signs, before he multiplied the bread, he first heard, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And he did everything from the smile, not for the smile. He did everything from the blessing, not to earn the blessing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm still in that journey. I still, I still grab my guitar and sing my most honest, things to God. Yeah. I love those moments in the Psalms. David's like, where are you, God? Yeah. Enemies are all around me. Yeah. Why have you forsaken me? And then all of a sudden, but then I came into the sanctuary of God and it all made sense.
0: Yeah, And his
2: loving kindness is everlasting.
0: That's really good. You know, one, one thing that I appreciate so much about you guys' art your music and your song is that um, and Melissa, just like you're saying, a lot of what you've written from has, has been grappling with the physical challenges with, you know, with all that you've been through. But what I see in your music is that you're not empowering the pain or glorifying the pain or wallowing in the pain or coming under the authority of the pain. But just like David in the Psalms, what I've seen in you guys is that you bring the pain into the place of devotion. You bring the pain or you bring the challenges, the uncertainties into the place of intimacy with him. And then invite him to speak back to it. And the thing I love about a lot of your lyrics is that you present something and then he talks back to you. <laughs> yeah. And it's just this interchange. And I would, I would love to just help people know how to bring their pain into the place of devotion but not feel like they have to come under it. Is there something you could speak to that about that might help people bring the the tragedy or the difficulty into a place of devotion?
1: For me, um, really early on, because when you deal with chronic illness, it's the everyday wrestle, right? It's just, it's the everyday white noise is what I would call it. And in my late 20s, the Lord really told me, He said, I'm gonna teach you how to grieve In stages, instead of thinking that you're gonna have this encounter moment where it's all gonna empty out and then you're gonna feel fine, and then you build up, build up, build up, build up, and then you empty it all out. That rhythm is actually not sustainable long term. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't sustainable more than anything for my soul. And so the Lord told me, He said, I'm gonna teach you how to grieve without hopelessness. Mm, That's good. I felt, and this is Jesus talking to me, He said, I felt the full range of emotion but I never broke connection with Father. Yes. He said, so I, I felt the full range of betrayal, disappointment, joy, celebration, um, sorrow, uh, all of it. But he, he's like, I never ever broke connection. And so what he started teaching me, and I'm so thankful, I'm so thankful because so often we go away and grieve, and then come back to the Lord. Yeah. And for me, my process has been—it it, sometimes I'll go through seasons of daily grief, where I'm crying a lot, and I've just stopped stopping it. Mm-hmm. I've just stopped making excuses. I've stopped. I'm like—I told my daughter the other day, I'm like, "Hey, let's save our sorries. I'm sick of saying I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry that I'm in a moment of grief, because this is actually my soul is breathing." my soul is learning to breathe with God. I'm actually learning to fully engage the reality that I can barely get out of bed. I'm gonna fully enter into that pain with the Lord. Let it actually, I'm gonna embrace it and then let it flow out. Instead of saying, I don't feel this, I don't feel this, I don't feel this, I don't feel this. And then what that actually does is it traps pain It traps offense, it traps sorrow, Mm -hmm. it traps bitterness. Mm -hmm. And then we get into moments where we're like, why am I so angry? And most of that is because you've been trapping all of your emotion instead of actually embracing it, right? So you have to feel anger, but you don't wanna live angry. Yeah. You have to feel, everyone feels disappointment. So we let disappointment, what I'm learning and I've, I've learned is, man, God, I feel disappointed. I actually embrace it and let it, Fully, I take it fully in and then I let it fully out. Uh But if I take it, because I'm going to take it in anyway, if I take it in and say, I'm not disappointed, I'm not disappointed, I'm not offended, I'm not offended, but actually I am, it actually traps all of the emotions. Does that make sense? And so I, I think that daily, actually learning to daily grieve, one of the most beautiful compliments I've ever been given about my songs was, I, this lady said to me, she said, I felt the full range of your pain, but I did not feel hopeless.
0: Yes, that's that's good. And it. I was that's like, good.
1: it actually was the first time I ever felt my, my particular voice explained, like, mm-hmm. you felt the full range of my suffering, but you didn't feel disconnected from the Father. Mm-hmm. And I think Jesus modeled that
2: good yes. it's really good wounded healers is now on what's that? yeah and i um as a husband watching the one i love the most walk through chronic pain and i'm um, as a man i just want to fix it you know mm. and in the early years uh our first few years being married it was just like how can i fast more how can i pray more what's the magic prayer to to get the healing to happen um And then the father's like inviting me into what he feels. I'll never forget one of the nights he said, uh, faith is not believing, it's not just believing that I can heal. Faith is believing that I want healing even more than you want it, son. Like I I want to heal my daughter even more than you want it. Come and pray the prayers that I'm praying. Mm. Come and and weep the tears that I'm weeping and stop performing Mm. to try to get something. Um, and it, it's the fig leaves of my performance because I actually don't want to enter in the pain of my brokenness yeah. and say, Father, here I am. Yeah. Um, and um, I'll never forget this night of being able, there's nothing like creating with him. Mm-hmm. I love that Adam's first act of creating, he's, God brings the animals to Adam. And I love the scripture says that he, and, and God waits to see what Adam's going to call them. <laughs> he's like, here they are. I worked on him all day before you met him. Yeah. Now, join me. Let's do this together. Yes. And he steps back like, what's he gonna call it? And I, I think Jesus is there with him. He's like, he called it a giraffe, a giraffe. <laughs> and it was more than a label, it was the destiny. He was entering into the process. And so I'll never forget this night. There's nothing like when we begin to pray the prayers he's praying. Yeah. We begin to sing the songs that he's singing. Mm-hmm and we co-create with him. And this night, it was in 2006, uh, 12 years ago, and um, Melissa, it was probably when your sickness was at the, the worst place that it's been at, the, the, probably the darkest part of the valley that we've walked through. And I um, fell asleep that night, and, uh, and I just, at night, before I fall asleep, I will just reach over, not to wake her up, and I love praying for her before I sleep. And I'm like, tonight could be the night, God. Like, tomorrow we could wake up and this could be gone. Mm. And I fell asleep that night, and I woke up dreaming a melody. Um, and it woke, it woke me up, and, and I was mumbling these lyrics. Before your feet dance upon streets that are golden in your arms you will hold your children's children. And I, and I woke up going, what am I saying? Wow. And the father said, you're singing my song over Melissa. It's the song of life to chase away the fear of death yeah. and, and, and the song of death. Because in, in, when the sickness was at that point, there was those thoughts of, will Melissa even see her grandchildren? And Will these things happen? Before your feet dance on streets that are golden, in your arms you will hold your children's children. Mm. And as it hit me, I just laid in bed, just began to weep because I was, I was entering in and praying the prayers that he's praying, singing the songs he's singing. Yeah. And I, I got out of bed and, and wrote this song for Melissa. And then uh, me and Stephen and Sarah, we had a small little community then at the farm. And I got all the community together. Stephen got his hammer dulcimer out and we took about 45 minutes recording hammer dulcimer. It just hit Stephen playing prayers over mm-hmm. Melissa's body. And the whole community was in there praying. We recorded this song and recorded the Hammer Dulcimer summer music and put it onto an iPod and gave it to Melissa for your, it was like 28th birthday Uh, and said, this is the song of life that heaven's singing over you. mm -hmm. And um, within a year, there was a dramatic change, not full healing yet, it's coming, Mm -hmm. but there was a dramatic shift as we began to pray the prayers he was praying. But in that, there was an entering into the suffering. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So those moments when he sings back over us are what I live for. Wow, that's
0: beautiful. That's amazing, I forgot about that, man. (laughs) (laughs) We got a lot of history. Yeah, we do. (laughs) Wow. Well, man, we need to wrap this up, but um, if I ask you one more question, can you promise to answer it in 15 seconds or less? Wow. And it's gonna be a big question, like big truth bomb question. You, I'm not promising 15 seconds, <laughs> but I'll go make it quick. You guys have been discipling people that are coming from all over the world now to a place with the heart. What would you say one of the primary emotional needs or emotional hurdles is that you're seeing in the people and the young, the emerging generations that are coming? Is there one particular issue that seems to be part of our generation? And in um, what have you seen the father do to, to meet them in that place?
1: I think there's so many. I, if I had to, I mean, obviously, vulnerability, honesty. I think what I love imparting, maybe more than anything, is practice. Mm-hmm. Like, actually, because we, you know, kids come, or young adults, they're not kids, 20, 27. They come and they want it. They want a quick fix. Like, is the journey going to fix me? Yeah. We come to things like this. Like, okay, I'm going to get all the keys that are going to fix. And we actually don't. We don't give ourselves permission to live a life of practice. Mm-hmm. And that we're actually going to make a lot of mistakes. And I yeah. think culturally, even church culture, we want sure. the wham bam. We want right. to fall out. We want the we want the prophetic word that's going to change. And actually, then you go home and you actually have to practice. Yes. Living every single day, more more than being accountable to to your calling or your gifting or any or church or anything, you have to be account. Learn to be accountable to the Lord. That's and so, I think practice for me and dependency on the Holy Spirit is one of the greatest needs I see, because uh-huh. we want it so fast, uh-huh. and life isn't fast. Like life requires a daily choice, and I think. Actually, learning to give ourselves permission for the practice mm-hmm. is one of the hardest struggles yeah. that we see. Wow.
2: Yeah, I think so much of our discipleship process is built around the Proverbs 4:23: "Guard your heart with all diligence, for it is the wellspring of life." One of the first things we tell our students is, um, "Your greatest gift is your heart. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not your gift. Um, guard this, grow from this, and then your gifts will do more than you could ever ask mm-hmm. or imagine. Um, And a lot of our students come to drink from our well. We're like, you're actually not here to drink from our well. We want you to dig your own well. That's good. Like we all have a well. Um, And and just, it's so easy now, because success can be so fast and being lured by the seduction of success and what the likes and the comments and all those things. Uh, But first, like, know his smile. Know his thoughts and root yourself there and then um, put your heart before your gifts. Yeah, and, then, and then as those roots go deep, the fruit will
0: be sweet. Come on, that's good. Guys, let's give it up for Johnny and Melissa Helser. Thanks so much for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This concludes the end of season three and if you're not following us on Instagram, you can find us there at instagram.com slash mystics. And also, if you haven't done so, please leave us a review on iTunes. And we look forward to seeing you in just a few weeks. Take care, my friends.